0: Good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's so awesome to have you with us. I want to say hello to those of you on our online campus. Thanks for joining us there. And if you're in one of our parent viewing rooms, uh, that's a great option if you have small children you prefer to keep with you during the service. Anybody watching in our cafe, great to have you with us. And uh, we are in week six, that's crazy, of a series called Famous Last Words. And the whole idea behind this series is we're looking at all of the things that Jesus said to His disciples uh, on the night that he was betrayed and arrested. And so this is really kind of the, the last opportunity Jesus has before his arrest and before his crucifixion, where he speaks with his disciples, and he's really giving them the things he really wants them to know, the things he wants them uh, to, to live with and to run with, and the, that he wants to really stick with them. And so we've been kind of walking through these different things that he's uh, been sharing. And the very first week, we talked about uh, what he did first, at what has come to be known as the Last Supper, he took off his outer robe and he took a, a towel and he washed his disciples' feet. And he specifically said, I'm doing this to set an example for you so that you will live this way with other people, that you will walk into any environment that you're in, not going, How do I elevate myself? but how do I, how do I come under and serve others? And then uh, the second week, we talked about this idea that uh, Jesus gave them a new command, and it wasn't a new command in terms of content. It was a new command in terms of context that Jesus said, as I have loved you, you are to love others. And no longer could you define your love for God by the vertical only, but moving forward, your love for God, the the way that you express your love for God is how well you love the people created in his image. And that it's got to be horizontal and not just vertical. And then uh, the third week, uh, we dove dove in and talked about the idea that um, what does it mean to be a good person? And how good is good enough to get to God? And the idea that good people go to heaven is a good idea on the surface. But when you dig beneath it a little bit and you really start to unpack it, it's really an unfair system. And at the end of the day, none of us are good enough and we never know when we've been good enough to get in. And so instead of giving us a list, God gave us himself and he sent Jesus. And everybody gets in the same way and everybody's invited. And then uh, week four, we talked about the role of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus said, I'm going to go away, but someone else is going to come. And while I've been with you, the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. And then last week, our friend uh, John Alexander was here and just did a great job talking about when Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And sometimes we have some imitation vines that we want to go after. But Jesus is the source. If we'll stay connected to Jesus, that is uh, how our life will be sustained. And so uh, that's been kind of like a a brief sort of catch you up if you're coming into the uh, uh, middle of the movie here, and so uh, we've got two more weeks, and we're going to talk about the next couple of things that Jesus says. Before we do that, I want to remind us that in two weeks is Easter. That's crazy, isn't it? Uh, Easter is only two weeks away. We've got five Easter times here, and uh, two on Saturday night, uh, three on Sunday morning, and uh, you've got a little thing in your program there. You can take that with you. Here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you to invite a friend to join you on Easter weekend, and here's why. Somewhere along the way, uh, it's, it's, everything we do here at Westbridge Church is to try to create environments that are accessible. We want to make it very, very easy for you to invite your friends. We want to we make it easy for you to invite your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members. And when you invite somebody, here's what I know, because I've invited people to church before, it's a risk. You're risking your friendship with them, right? You're like putting it all on the line. You're like, you want to go to my church? But here's what I know. I know it's a risk. So we're doing everything we can to go like, when you invite your friends, we want to make sure that they feel welcome, that they don't feel like they're on the outside looking in, that from the moment they walk in, whether they have any church experience or not, they feel like, okay, like even though I'm not sure where I stand with this Jesus thing or the church thing or the faith thing or whatever, I don't feel like I'm on the outside looking in. I don't, I'm not, I don't feel like the newbie. And, uh, and that's really important to us. And one of my favorite conversations, I've shared this before, but I, my favorite conversations is when people from Westbridge come up to me and they go, hey, hey. And they pull me aside and they're like, my friend's here today. And that's code for like, don't screw this up for me. <laughs> and I get that, all right? Because you've risked that friendship. And here's, here's the other thing. I've been on the other side of a conversation where I've invited friends. And, and they've started coming and then they start exploring faith in Jesus and then eventually they say yes to Jesus. And I've I've had the experience of having somebody go, "Look, because you shared an invitation with me, my life has never been the same." And I want every single person who's a part of Westbridge Church to have that experience. I want somewhere along the way for your friend or your neighbor or your coworker or your family member to look at you and go, Thank you for risking the invitation. Thank you for inviting me. My life has never been the same since I met Jesus. And when you get that experience, there's there's nothing like it in the world. And I want every single person who's a part of Westbridge Church to have that conversation with someone in their life. And uh, we wanna do everything we can to make it easy for you to invite your friends. And here's just the reality because of the culture we live in. Easter is one of those times where people will say yes to an invitation when they might not otherwise. And so we're going to present a very clear and compelling, uh, simple message of Jesus. I would encourage you to invite someone to join you that week. That's my pitch. All right. And now, uh, this week and next week, we're finishing these famous last words that Jesus shared with His disciples. And we're going to look at something uh, that Jesus reminded His disciples of on this night. And they've since left the, the upper room, the place where they were having dinner, and they've started moving out of that space, walking towards uh, the garden where they're going to spend some time. And now uh, Jesus is talking with them and he shares something with them that has a profound impact on the way that we live our lives today. And if I could put it into language for today, it's basically this, that following Jesus does not guarantee a trouble-free life. Now, Some of you are like, well, that's it. What am I doing here? All right, I'm out, right? I mean, I I read the Christianity brochure. I thought that was it, right? That uh, I follow Jesus and everything goes good from here on out. Uh, Well this sometimes gets mixed in with following Jesus. So let me clarify for you. Anytime someone says this to you, hey, if you just uh, quote these things or if you just do these three things, you can always expect this outcome. Or if you pray this prayer and touch this uh, cross and repeat after me and memorize this thing, then I guarantee that God will do this for you. Okay, anytime that, that's not following Jesus. That's magic. And here's what I can tell you about magic. Uh, You need to know this. All magic works some of the time. That's just a fact. Like at some point in your childhood, were you just enamored? I feel like every, especially like boy goes through this, where at some point when they're a kid, they're like enamored with magicians, and they want to be a magician for like a brief season, however brief it is. And so you start like learning magic tricks, and you want to show them to your parents. And then, and then it's like, oh, it doesn't work the first time. And you're just like, oh, it's so embarrassing. And then you, but eventually you get it to work. All magic works. Some of the time. And unfortunately, uh, some of us come from sort of uh, environments where magic thinking got mixed in with Jesus thinking. And you got kind of the both paths going on. And next thing you know, you're trying to do things in a certain way to get God to bless you and protect you and give you a charmed life. And uh, one of the best examples of this is uh, I got this this week, this St. Joseph the Carpenter figurine. Got it on Amazon for $8.49. Ordered it Thursday, got to me Friday. I mean, it's just amazing. And uh, the way this works, it comes with an instruction card, and you buy this when you're trying to sell your house. It says, um, buy this, uh, bury the statue in your yard, face, upside down facing your house. And the idea is you want Joseph to be as uncomfortable as possible because you're going to pray and ask him to sell your house as quickly as possible, and then you're going to dig him up when you leave. And it's like, all right, dude, you're going to be pretty uncomfortable till you sell this place, all right? Now, I can tell you, the only people benefiting from uh, St. Joseph the Carpenter figurines are people manufacturing St. Joseph the Carpenter figurines. Those guys are laughing all the way to the bank, all right? They got me for $8.49 this last week, I'm telling you. But that's how magic works, right? I could stand up here and say this, all right, if you're looking for a job, just wake up and put on whatever clothes you want to wear to whatever job you want to have, and then stand at your door and open your Bible to the book of Job, and... Read that for a couple of weeks, you know, one chapter every day, and you're going to get a job. And here's what would happen, I promised you. Within a week, I would get an email from someone who's, who would say, I tried it and it worked, and I got a job. You're not going to believe it. I mean, I did what you said, and it, and it worked. And I'd be like, see, and, and it would generate more emails. I'd read that email to you, and somebody online would go, I tried it, and they'd email me, and that would generate more emails, and I would write a book, and I'd go on tour, and it would be amazing. That's magic. All magic works some of the time. Jesus did not come to be your magician. Jesus never promised to be your magician. In fact, trouble-free, problem-free, worry-free, that was never the promise that Jesus made. Jesus never said, hey, follow me and life will be trouble-free. It's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? But that was not what Jesus promised. In fact, throughout Jesus' time with his disciples, it was quite the opposite. Jesus often told them things that were going to happen that were kind of disturbing. In fact, at one point when Jesus is, uh, you know, traveling around and teaching the crowds, there's there's one uh, point where Jesus says to his disciples, the time is coming where you're going to be turned over to the authorities and you're going to be questioned and you're going to be whipped and you're going to be arrested. And when that happens, don't worry about what to say. They're like worried about what to say. You're telling me I'm gonna be whipped and arrested. I'm not worried about what to say. I got a, other, a whole lot of other worries. And constantly Jesus would say these things to his disciples. When this happens, when this happens, here's what's gonna happen, here's what's gonna happen. He, he would say things like, you know, they, they persecuted me. And, and if, I'm, if I'm the master, if I'm the rabbi, how much more are they gonna persecute you? And he'd say these things to them. And it's so fascinating. And here's what Jesus reminded his disciples. He would say all these things. and then. During this time that they have together, they're in the garden and they're hanging out and it's the night that Jesus is going to be, you know, he's really just probably hours from being uh, arrested. And here's what he says to his disciples this night. He says this, I have told you these things, I've told you all these things that are going to happen so that you won't abandon your faith. Now think about that. How how interesting is it that when you think about just human nature, I, I know this is true for me, I assume it's probably true for you. It's so much easy for me to put trust in God when everything's going good. And then when things aren't going so good, it's, there's something about us as human beings where we just go, God, where are you? Why me? Like, what's going on? Why, where, maybe, maybe this faith thing isn't working out like I thought it would because now I'm experiencing some difficulty. Now I'm experiencing trials and sorrows and hardship and pain and grief and loss. And wh- what's going on? Where are you? And I think there's something in the human condition that's so easy for us when we hit hard times to abandon faith. And Jesus specifically speaks to that. He doesn't want that to happen. So he says, I'm, I'm telling you these things so you won't abandon your faith. You will be expelled from the synagogues and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they're doing a holy service for God. I'm like, whoa, time out, Jesus. Those who kill us? So you're, so you're saying that's just a foregone conclusion that we're going to be killed. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. Jesus. Okay, time out. This is not what we were expecting from you this night. Like we're celebrating Passover together. We we were really expecting something a little more uplifting, encouraging maybe. Uh, Maybe could you give us a little something on prayer? I know the crowd's always loved when you did that. Maybe do that. Or tell us the plan. How are you going to overthrow the Roman Empire? And Jesus doesn't do any of that. Instead, Jesus says this a few minutes later. He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus says, that you're, you're going to have, I'm telling you this so you can have peace in me. Not peace in your circumstances, peace in me. And I'm telling you, here on earth, you're going to have trials and sorrows. It's going to happen. He's not saying, follow me and life will be trouble free. He says, follow me and you're going to have trials and sorrows. But you can take heart. In other words, your heart can, can find strength. Your heart can find courage. Your heart can find hope. Because I have overcome the world. Jesus wants the people who are his followers to experience the type of peace that isn't rooted in their circumstances. It's rooted in something so much deeper. In him. A trust in him. And he was about to experience something very bad. Things were about to go very wrong for Jesus in the next few hours. But he wanted them to know just because something bad is happening to you, it doesn't mean that you can't experience peace because your peace isn't rooted in what's going on around you. Your peace isn't rooted in the circumstances that are taking place around you. It's deeper than that. It is so tempting for us to look at our circumstances And especially when things are difficult, when we experience pain and grief and loss and hardship and trials and sorrows, and to go, God, where are you? God, you're not working. God, you're not active. God, you've abandoned us. Somehow, you know, we look at what's going on around us and say, God, where are you? And Jesus wanted his disciples to understand this. Following Jesus provides peace through our troubles, this is not about going, okay, uh, God, if I follow you, then you're going to work out all my troubles. No, it's you're going to give me peace in the midst of them. You're going to give me the strength to go through them. And what Jesus promises that is that shifting our perspective will help us to see things differently. In this world, you will experience trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He wants to give us a different perspective. When I was a kid, Uh, I used to watch uh, Michael Jordan basketball games nonstop. In fact, some of you, if you know, you won't remember this, Uh, I'm from the 1900s. So in the 1900s, what we did is we took a a, a VHS tape and we put it into a VCR and then I pushed record and I would record Michael Jordan basketball games. And then I'd rewatch them all the time. And by the way, it, there's all this conversation, you know, in culture today about like, you know, who's the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, LeBron, okay? It's not even a conversation. All right, I'm sorry. If, no, no disrespect to LeBron. I grew up watching Michael Jordan play. There's nobody better ever. He's the GOAT. End of discussion. And if you want to have a debate about it, shoot me an email, okay? Jeremiah at rip.com. <laughs> Just send it my way. Because... He's the GOAT, man. And so I I watched, um, I would watch, I'll I'll never forget the the series with the Knicks that sent him to the finals and then the series against the Suns. And then they were in the finals and one game went to triple overtime. I mean, I I can tell you, I can see it. I can tell you every move that he did at every moment in the game because I watched him so many times. But the first time watching the game, so much tension, right? Just like, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. But what's amazing is When I'd watch it the second time, even if they were down by 10 or 15 points, I didn't stress, because I knew how it ended. This is exactly what Jesus is doing for his disciples. He's going, guys, you already know the ending. Yes, you might experience pain. You're gonna have trials, you're gonna have sorrows, you're gonna experience grief and loss and hardship, but you already know the ending. And so it gives you a very different perspective when you already know how it ends. In fact, this message so resonated with Jesus' first century followers that it became one of the main messages of the early church. This is one of the things that brought the message of Jesus moving forward in the first and second century, was this idea that, like, how can you guys have this kind of peace when you're being persecuted and tortured and executed and hunted down by the Roman Empire, and, and and yet you have such incredible peace? This doesn't make any sense. This is what propelled the message of Jesus forward, because peace is not found in what is going on in the world around us. Peace is found in the one who has overcome the world. And so years later, James, the brother of Jesus, who didn't even believe Jesus was the Son of God, he didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, he didn't believe Jesus was anything. In fact, we have it on record that all of Jesus' family actually thought Jesus was crazy, that he had lost his mind, literally lost his mind. And so none of them are present outside of Mary, the mother of Jesus, at Jesus' crucifixion. Later on, Jesus is resurrected, and he shows up and he says hi to his brother James. And guess what? James, at that point, started believing. And then James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and here's what he writes to followers of Jesus years later. He says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, and here's the truth, they do, they come your way. Okay, you don't have to go looking for them. They come your way. Troubles of all kinds come your way. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James says, I want you to consider it joy. He doesn't say, I want you to feel joyful. And sometimes followers of Jesus act like you should always be suffering because that's how you know that you're serving Jesus is if you're suffering. And if you're not suffering, you must must be doing something wrong. Can I just tell you, I couldn't disagree with that more. Don't look for suffering. It will find you. You don't have to go looking for it, okay? But when you're suffering, consider it an opportunity for joy. Because when something bad is happening to you, something good can be happening to you in you, when something bad is happening to you, something good can be happening in you. Consider it an opportunity. Consider is a really important word for followers of Jesus. Consider simply means, in this context, to rethink. It really, you could say reconsider. Consider means I'm going to change my thinking on something. I'm going, to, I'm going to run the numbers a second time. I'm going to get a second opinion. It has to do with how I evaluate or discern or understand or interpret what is happening to me. And it's not by looking at conventional wisdom and not by looking at what is going on in the circumstances around me or the way everyone else does. I'm going to look at what is happening to me through the lens of what God wants to do in me. It's a totally different way of looking at it. So you say, okay, I'm not excited about this trial or sorrow or circumstance or difficulty that I'm going through, but this is an opportunity for me to grow my faith muscles. I consider, I consider this an opportunity, not because I enjoy what's happening to me, but because God is doing something in me. And James isn't the only one who talked about this. In fact, Peter comes along several years later, and Peter is one of Jesus's closest friends and followers. In fact, he's present at this Last Supper, he's present with Jesus in the garden. He's there when Jesus is arrested, so he's hearing all of this firsthand. And here's what uh, here's what Peter writes to followers of Jesus living in the first century in the Roman Empire: "Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you." And I love that he phrases it that way because that is how we behave sometimes, isn't it? It's like, oh, why me? Why not you? it's, it's so fascinating. It's just human nature for us to go. All of us have this propensity to go, well, why me? Because we live in a broken world. Why not you? Why not me? All of us are going to face trials and hardships. And, And Peter goes, I remember I was with Jesus in the garden and he looked at us and said, oh, by the way, you will have trials and sorrows in this world. So why are you surprised when it actually happens? Why are you surprised? Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed to all the world. In other words, if you'll have an eternal perspective, you'll see it differently. And this word consider is a practice that is found throughout the New Testament. Paul actually writes at one point, consider others as better than yourselves. In other words, you have to rethink that because human nature doesn't naturally think of others as better than yourself. It doesn't naturally put others first. That's something that you have to consider. That's something that you have to pause and rethink in your life. Paul says, consider. Run the numbers a second time. Get a second opinion. Consider the fact that others might be more important than you. Rethink the way that you think about that. Paul says, Christ did not consider equality with God something to cling to. You would think that equality with God would be something that you would hold on to, but Jesus rethought that. He thought differently than most of us would think about that. Paul would write this, or sorry, the writer of Hebrews actually tells us Moses considered suffering for Christ to be more valuable than the riches of Egypt. I would think that living a wealthy life as the son of Pharaoh would be a better alternative than suffering for years in the wilderness. But Moses considered, he thought differently. He saw it not through the lens of present circumstances, but through the lens of eternity. And when Paul was arrested for following Jesus, he's standing in in front of King Agrippa. He's on trial, basically. And here's what he says. I consider myself fortunate to be standing before you today. Now, who would consider themselves fortunate to be on trial for their life? But Paul wasn't looking at it through the present circumstance. Paul was looking at it through the lens of eternity. I've reconsidered. I've thought differently about this. You've given me the best platform. I've never had a platform so big to share the message of Jesus. Even though I'm arrested, even though I'm on trial, I've never had such a big platform to share the message of Jesus. And since my life is about sharing the message of Jesus, you've done me a favor. Paul has a completely different spin on it because he has rethought. Uh, No other prisoner would have said that. But when you look through the lens of an eternal perspective, it allows you to consider things you might not have otherwise considered. You could almost translate the word to reconsider, right? Get a second opinion. Run the numbers a second time. Review your assessment of current reality through the lens of eternity and through the lens of the Jesus way of living. And you may see your troubles and you may see your trials and you may see your sorrows differently. And it doesn't mean they go away. There's still pain. There's still grief. There's still hardship. There's still confusion. But you can remove them from the debt category and you can place them in the asset category. Because something bigger is going on. Consider means I don't just look at my troubles and I don't just look at my problems and I don't just look at my sufferings, but that I actually look through them to see that God is still at work even in my trouble and in my pain and in my suffering. And I know that as I go through whatever trials and whatever troubles I face on a day-to-day basis, God is going to use those things. He doesn't cause them, but he will use them to refine my character. To make me more like Jesus, more patient, more loving, more kind, more forgiving, more generous, more selfless, and I will change my perspective to see things through the lens of eternity. Again, here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. He's writing to followers of Jesus uh, living in the Roman Empire, and here's what he says I consider, I consider, I'm, I'm thinking through this in a different way. I, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, that someday Jesus is going to fully restore all things. And when that happens, we're going to see God's glory not only around us, where God's glory is not only going to be revealed to us, God's glory is going to be revealed in us, he says. I mean, my perspective, when I replay the tapes, when I run the numbers a second time, when I look through the lens of eternity, what we suffer presently won't even compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. This is a fundamentally different way of viewing life. We, we think peace is found in having trouble-free circumstances. Jesus taught peace comes from trusting him through the most difficult circumstances. That Jesus doesn't always just go remove us and carry us over the top of them. He gives us the peace and the strength to get through them. And there was a 19th century German philosopher Uh, named Arthur Schopenhauer, Uh, he ended up having a very large influence on the modern world. He was an atheist, he wrote a lot of books, and uh, he was famous for his bleak outlook on life. In fact, so famous, he wrote a a book that's uh, widely known in psychology called Studies in Pessimism. Sounds fun, right? Like, ooh, I'm gonna rush out and get that this week. Uh, In this book, he writes that existence is so bleak that if it were rational, we would never have children, so they would be spared the burden of existence. Let me give you a few of his uh, most famous quotes. He says this Today is bad, and day by day it will get worse until at last the worst of all arrives. Pretty fun, huh? He's the original life sucks and then you die guy. He's basically. Uh, here's another one. He says this Human life must be some kind of mistake. Like, wow. that's a That's a punchy bumper sticker for you, isn't it? Great way to greet your kids in the morning when you open the fridge to yet another empty milk container that they've left in there. Human life must be some kind of mistake. (laughs) How about this? He says, the best comfort in affliction will be the thought of other people who are in a still worse plight than yourself. Like, the only hope there is in life, the only, like, the only... uh, consolation there is that I'm, that life sucks and then you die, is that other people have it worse. And then he says, we're like lambs in a field waiting under the eye of the butcher. Just a, just a fun, just a fun guy, right? And also, uh, this is a picture of Arthur Schopenhauer. (laughs) Just, he just looks joyful. And he was not a guy who got invited to a lot of parties. Uh... (laughs) He was arrogant and paranoid. He slept at night with a loaded pistol. In fact, uh, once there was an old woman chatting outside of his room and he got so frustrated with the the chatter that he went outside and he pushed her down a flight of stairs. Uh, She got injured. The courts made him pay her for the rest of her life. She ended up living for another 20 years. And after 20 years, uh, she actually died. And when she died, he got a copy of her death certificate and wrote on it the Latin phrase, obit honest, obit onus," which means the old woman dies and the burden goes. That was Arthur Schopenhauer. He died lonely, selfish, and miserable. But he did make one other observation that I think is important. He said this, life presents itself as a series of tasks. And that is true. Life does present itself as a series of tasks, a series of challenges, a series of problems. A series of trials, life presents itself. You every single day you wake up and you're presented with a series of tasks and a series of problems to solve and a series of trials and a series of things that challenges. And this is very true. If you think that peace is found in never having problems, you're never going to experience peace. And if you think that peace is found in uh, finding resolution to every single circumstance in your life, you're never going to experience peace. Like, well, when it, when will all the troubles be done? I have this on good authority when you die. In fact, it's been scientifically proven that the number of problems that you have and the degree to which you experience problems decreases significantly when you die. Just let that sink in for just a second. And as you look at your life, you're facing problems. All of us are in multiple different fronts. And I used to think there were good seasons and bad seasons, and then I realized, no, there's problems in good seasons and there's problems in bad seasons. Good seasons when I don't have any problems. Bad seasons when it's just problems. No, problems are a part of life. Arthur Schopenhauer got that part right. Life presents itself as a series of tasks, a series of problems, a series of challenges. And even in the best seasons, we have troubles. And sometimes those troubles are the results of our own decisions that we've made. Sometimes unwise decisions and sometimes sinful decisions, where I give in to my own selfish desires and I am experiencing the consequences of my own choices. Other times, just unwise decisions, not necessarily sinful, but just not wise, poor judgment. Other times, I'm experiencing the fallout from somebody else's sinful or unwise decisions and it's affecting my life. And other times, nobody is to blame. It's just life, and we live in a broken world, and we experience problems. All kinds of troubles, obsessive thoughts, health concerns, financial burdens, marriage difficulty, depression and mental health concerns, career challenges, parenting troubles, restlessness, loneliness. Troubles are a part of life. It's how we respond to those troubles that makes all the difference. That's what Jesus wanted to leave his followers with. And here's a few sort of classic responses that uh, many of us tend to take when we face troubles of any kind. One is we pretend. Some people are very good at this, and you go, hey, how's it going? And they're like, good, man, good. God is good all the time. <laughs> You're like, I- I- and I'll be honest, I- God is good all the time. But I'm not God. I'm not always good. Sometimes I am depressed. Sometimes I'm anxious. Sometimes I am uh, selfish. Uh, Sometimes, I I mean, sometimes I'm impatient. Sometimes I, there's all kinds of issues in my life. God is good, but I'm not God. I experience things, and to pretend that I don't doesn't help me. Another one that people do is this. Uh, Some people just avoid, and there's some wisdom in that. You see the path that other people have gone down, and you want to avoid some of the things that you've seen them happen, you know, take place in their life so you go, ah, I'm going to stay away from that. And there's some wisdom to that. But all I can tell you is that there are some troubles, problems, trials, sorrows, and hardships in life that are just unavoidable. And you don't have to go looking for them. They will find you. Another thing people do is worry. I'm just going to worry all the time. And I can tell you, some people spend their time worrying about all the troubles in this world. And people who respond to every trouble and every difficulty by worrying turn everything into a catastrophe. And over time, they grow more and more afraid of, like, what could potentially happen in the future, and they stop living in the moment. So they go to bed with a helmet on, just in case I fall in the night. But the Apostle Paul was so captivated by the words of Jesus, the words of Jesus, where Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials and sorrows, but you can take heart. Your heart can find courage and hope because I've overcome this world. And those words and that message so captivated the Apostle Paul that he was able to write these words, to pen these words in response to the trials and sorrows that we face in this world, writing to a group of people living in the city of Philippi. This is what Paul writes. He says this, don't worry about anything. Now, that's easy, easier said than done, right? Our natural uh, our tendency for many of us is just to worry, especially when things go wrong and when troubles come our way. And Paul says, don't worry. Instead, here's the alternative, pray about everything. You're like, okay, sure, Paul, easy answer. Don't worry, just pray. It sounds so cliche, right? Here's what Paul says. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then... And Paul says there is like a, there's an if there's a there's a cause and effect to this. There's an if then that goes on here. That if you'll do this, then this will happen. But this next part won't happen until you start with this. And, and he knows like our our tendency to worry about stuff. He, maybe even remembering some of the words of Jesus when Jesus said, "By worrying, can you add a single day to your life?" And most of us would probably say no. In fact, I've probably shaved a few off with some of my worrying. You can't add any days to your life by worrying. And maybe those words of Jesus are ringing in Paul's ears as he writes this. He says, don't worry, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need, thank Him for all He's done. And then Paul says, here's what will happen as a result. You will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And then he says this, His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Paul says, you know what's going to happen? You're gonna experience peace. And it's the kind of peace that isn't attached to your circumstance. Paul doesn't say, okay, pray, instead of worrying, just pray and tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. And then God will solve all your problems and life will be trouble free. He doesn't say that. He says, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna experience peace that goes beyond your ability to understand. In other words, other people on the outside looking in will go, man, I don't understand why you can have so much peace when everything around you seems to be crumbling. I mean, you got this going on and that going on and this going on. it seems like I don't understand how you could just continue to maintain faith. I don't understand how you continue to have that kind of peace in the midst of what's going on around you. It doesn't make sense. Like when I try to connect the dots as an outsider looking in, this just doesn't make any sense to me. And Paul says, yeah, it's, it's beyond our ability to understand. He says, all I know is when I do this, this is, this is what Jesus taught us to do that we will have trials and sorrows, but that he has overcome the world. And all I know is that when I, instead of worrying about it, every time I go, God, here's what I'm facing. Thank you for what you're doing. His peace shows up in a way that I can't even explain, in a way that I can't even understand. And it's like, it's like it stands guard over my heart, over my mind. The restlessness that I experience dissipates and, and the, the, the anxiety that is in my heart, it dissipates. And I can't explain it to you, it shouldn't. When I look at my circumstances, it shouldn't. But these words of Jesus have so captivated me that I'm able to write this. And by the way, Paul's writing this from prison. So it's tempting to go, well, that sounds pretty cliche, Paul. Paul would say, I'm writing this in shackles. I'm writing to you, how could Paul have peace in the midst of some of the worst circumstances in which someone could find themselves? It's because he remembered and he trusted in the words of Jesus. In this world, you will have trials and sorrows. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And it's that perspective on what is eternal over what is temporary that catapulted the message of Jesus through the first few centuries. In fact, in the midst of great persecution, they didn't renounce faith in God. This is exactly what Jesus wanted for his followers. I'm telling you these things so that when they happen, that when people try to kill you, that when you're arrested, that when you're whipped, that when you're flogged, that when you're tortured, that when these things happen, you won't abandon your faith. And over the next few hundred years, those things would happen. Followers of Jesus would be persecuted by the temple leaders. They'd be persecuted by the Roman Empire. They would be arrested. They would be whipped and flogged and tortured and executed. And yet, they did not abandon their faith. They did not abandon their faith. In fact, in the second century, 150 years after Jesus, his followers were being put to death. His followers were being tortured. And there's a doctor and a historian named Claudius Galenus who lived during that time, and he spent a lot of his time examining tortured and dying Christians. And here's what he wrote about them in this time. In in about 150 years after Jesus, he says, For fearlessness of death and hereafter is something we witness in them every day. These Jesus followers, and, and uh, he was not himself a Jesus follower, he was just documenting what was taking place. He's a historian. And he says these, these followers of Jesus, these people who claim to follow the way of Jesus, it's like they have this fearlessness in the face of death. They have this, this calm, they have this peace in the face of death. It, and in what comes after death, the hereafter. And it's something that we witness in them every day. It's like no matter what we put them through and no matter how much we threaten them with torture, they have peace. And they're unafraid uh, to step into whatever comes next. Every single day, their fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them. It was this fearlessness of Jesus' followers that got the attention of the Roman Empire because everybody fears death except those who follow someone who has defeated it. And that's why Jesus would say this to his disciples. I've told you this so that you may have peace in me. Not peace in your circumstances, peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So what are you facing in your life today? What are you facing right now that feels overwhelming, that feels like a trial, it feels like a sorrow, it's, it's a hardship, it's painful, it's grief. For some of us it's financial difficulty. And it's real, and you carry the weight of that. For some of us, it's relational conflict with someone. For some, maybe it's marital conflict or it's parental conflict. Maybe it's it's just emotional or mental health struggles. For some of us, it's addiction. For some of us, it's pain and trauma that you've experienced. For some of us, it's loneliness. For some of us, it's depression. It's despair. And all I can tell you is not that following Jesus is going to instantly fix your problem. But following Jesus will give you peace in the midst of whatever's going on. I don't know anything else that does. There's a article that came out this last week and uh, was actually featured about 20 years ago in Sports Illustrated. A guy who was a hockey player college hockey player and he's a goalie and he went out to defend uh, his goal and collided with another player and his helmet came off. He fell back, smacked his head on the ice and was unconscious, slipped into a coma and they said it was fatal that he would not survive. And uh, he did survive. Now again, he might not have. It doesn't change who God is. But he survived. And they said he'll never play hockey again and he went on to play hockey again. They said, well, he'll certainly never be the same again. And he, he's coaching hockey now. In fact, uh, another article just came out this week and they asked him, okay, it's been 20 years since the accident and he's, uh, he's coaching professional hockey and he lives here in St. Michael and he's a part of Westbridge. And it's so fun to see that article. Uh, and they said, Joe, wh- how did you make it through? Like, I mean, that's just, for anybody to experience all the things that you experienced and how, what it took. And he just said, I remember these words it is my faith in Jesus that got me through and it's been difficult and it's been tough and it's been years of you know rehab and uh, working on things and they faced all kind of him and his wife and their family faced all faced all kinds of trials and sorrows and difficulty and hardship and he just said this the one thing that got me through was my faith in Jesus Remember the words of Paul. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Remember the words of Jesus. In this world, you will have trials and sorrows, but take heart. Find hope. Let your heart be encouraged. Let your heart be strengthened. I have overcome the world. And about 72 hours after Jesus said those words, he would be arrested. That night, Jesus would be arrested. The next day, Jesus would be put to death. His body would be laid in a tomb. And about 72 hours later, Jesus did exactly what he promised to do. He overcame the power of this world. The power of this world is death. And Jesus overcame death. According to multiple eyewitness accounts, Jesus actually rose from the dead. And here's what that means. It means death is not the end. That we should have no fear of what is going on in the present because we recognize the one who has overcome this world. And that means peace is not found in making sure all of our circumstances are resolved completely to our liking. It means peace is found in him, the one who has overcome this world. And you've been invited to be a part of God's family forever. Jesus overcame death, and then he invites us into what comes next. You don't have to wait until eternity to experience being a part of God's family and being a part of God's kingdom. You've been invited, and it isn't based on anything you've done, anything that you've said or haven't said or haven't done. It's based on who God is. He sent Jesus into this world, and he overcame death, and he invites you to be a part of his family. It's all based on who he is and what he has done for you. And all you have to do is say yes. I admit that I've missed the mark, and now, God, I want to surrender my life to your way of living. I I want to be a part of your family. I want to experience your kingdom and the peace that comes with that. If you've never said yes to that, I want to invite you to do that. Whether you're watching online here in the room, I want to invite you to say yes to that invitation. Just agree with this prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for those times where I know I've walked away from you and I'm so grateful you never walk away from me. And I want to say yes to your invitation. Make me your son, make me your daughter. Make me a part of your family. And then help me to continue to follow your way of living as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, I pray for every one of us. Every day we experience trials and sorrows, difficulty, hardship, troubles of every kind that come our way. You said that would happen. And so may we not be surprised when it does, but instead may we consider, may we rethink, may may we run the numbers a second time and see it through a different perspective and recognize that our peace doesn't come by making sure all of our circumstances work out, but we put our hope in the one who has overcome this world. And may that perspective just remind us, give our hearts courage and hope as we live this week. God, we commit this week to you and we pray this in your name, amen.